0: This episode is supported by Bounty Kitchen, one of my absolute favorite Seattle restaurants. Bounty Kitchen is, no joke, an extension of my own kitchen, except that there's so much fresh, local, organic, and tasty stuff on the menu there that it takes me forever to decide what I want. The good news is that you literally can't go wrong. Check out greens, beans, and grains dishes like the Braised Beef Bowl, or dive into the vegan and dairy-free Marrakesh Market Bowl, or try one of my personal favorites for Breakfast, lunch, and dinner, the pot liquor bowl. There are also soups, salads, sandwiches, scrambles, and of course toast, all infused with the deep love and commitment of founder and co-owner and my friend Meg Trainer and her team. Visit Bounty Kitchen at seven Boston Street in Seattle's Queen Anne neighborhood and check out my interview with Meg from last season of the podcast to learn more about her personal health journey and the inspiration behind Bounty Kitchen.
1: To me, when we're well, we're in this place that in yoga we call ananda and ananda is a sense of joy and contentment that has no opposite so it's not happiness it's not like i just feel happy and elated it's it's a place of satisfaction despite whatever stresses are coming your way that day
0: Welcome to Women on the Rise. I'm your host, Lara Dolch, and each week I talk to thriving women about the practical self-care strategies they use to fuel their success and pursue what's most important to them in their careers and lives. We get real about topics like healthy eating, exercise, sleep, stress, time management, happiness, and productivity, while busting myths about work-life balance and being perfect along the way. My goal each week is to uncover a new insight or practical strategy that you can immediately apply to your life to recapture your momentum, mind, body, and soul. Today, I'm talking to Adrienne Rabena, founder of Seattle's Bohemian Studios for Yoga and Bar and creator of the Bar Bohemian Bar Method and the craft of teaching yoga. As a yogi entrepreneur and wellness industry innovator, Adrienne must have this whole self-care thing figured out, right? Wrong. Like most of us in the business of helping others be well, Adrienne also struggles with prioritizing herself. We talked about how being just naive enough helped Adrienne make the leap from employee to entrepreneur in her mid-20s, how working in the yoga industry changed Adrienne's personal definition of wellness, when to use structure and when to allow freedom in your food, exercise, and self-care habits, and how Adrienne is working to shift from always putting herself last to prioritizing self-care and the personal insights that are helping her do it. Enjoy the interview. Thank you so much for taking the time to
1: talk to me, Adrian. Yes, I'm I'm just thrilled happy to be here. Well,
0: I mean, we were sitting here chit-chatting before we got started like, I mean, I literally haven't seen you in forever and mm-hmm. so it's nice to just talk to you and and kind of catch up, but you know, I've known you for years and when did we meet? Oh, when you were teaching um Flybar. Oh, yeah. like seems like a 100 years really ago well,
1: we, yeah that was that was I think four years ago yeah
0: crazy yeah that's wow. how we met and I, I feel like we had other friends in common but that's how we met and I so I'd love to start with you know can you just sort of share a little bit about your journey both personally and professionally and and sort of how yoga and bar ultimately became your focus as an entrepreneur
1: mm. oh yeah that's such a Huge question. (laughs) Big question, isn't it?
0: (laughs) Tell me your story, (laughs) Adrian.
1: Yeah, I've been re-churning through some of the newer yoga transcripts that have come out. And one way of looking at our lives is that everything that came before us has led to where we ultimately are. Mm -hmm. So I've been churning that and when I think of my own story, it's kind of like a collection of a very rare occurrence of events that happened when I was, you know, little and growing up, paired with what's culturally popular right now, paired with um, my interest and skills and abilities. So anyway, long story short, (laughs) I grew up I have to like start by giving it a lot of context, but I grew up in an environment where my mom was actually a fitness teacher, and why oh, didn't was, know that? Yeah, and she was a dancer, and she loved theater. And when I was little, she was very um, so carefree. So I grew up like barefoot, running around neighborhoods and. Something that she instilled in us from a young age was to to be free and to be creative and to love our lives and have fun and you know being a when I moved to become a teenager, I wanted to be anything but my mom, like most teenagers right sure. and my other my grandparents are also. Teachers And I was like, I'm never going to be a teacher. I want to be something else. I want to be a businesswoman. Right. So when I went to college, I studied economics and I am very interested in politics and, and diplomacy. And I thought that was going to be the direction I went down. But the more that I uncovered about myself, the more it just led me back to like who my mom is, you know, and um let me back up real quick. More recently, well, I grew up not knowing my father, and I just met him in the past year.
0: Wow. That must have been pretty powerful.
1: It was wild. And I mean, I didn't even know the dude was alive, you know? And I met him, and I learned so much about him that is also who I am. He, um, uh, He's an entrepreneur. He started small businesses all around the nation. He's been really interested in health. At one point, he opened a health store. And so, turns out I'm just a product of my parents. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I went down the road of searching for myself. And after school, I didn't know what I wanted to do and was hired by an insurance company and insurance is a field that people don't plan for they just kind of fall into and the role i was in was a leadership development program and i learned about myself that i'm really good with people and that i do want to make change on a day-to-day basis and so as i was unpacking that i i realized that The corporate environment didn't quite fit the needs that I had, which were to connect with people on a day to day basis and um, utilize my creativity, feel free in how I structure my days, but then also make an impact like that I could see right then and there. So I was churning that and I went through a yoga teacher training because I wanted to get fit and wanted to learn a little more about my spirituality. Going through the teacher training was transformative because I think I tapped into my, um, lineage and I was like, Oh, I'm so good at this. I love this. It makes me feel alive. I want to do this. But at the same time I had this moment of like, Oh shit. (laughs) Because to go from being in this high paying position that was on this fast track to leadership, having insurance, having um, everything laid out for me, having people who are super excited about me and held me in a, a high regard, going from that corporate world to being a yoga teacher, making $20 class um, not having any security or any assurance that it would work out was just a huge leap.
0: Yeah. I totally get that. Cause that my first step into this world was teaching Pilates. So yeah, it's like all of a yes. sudden you're going from advertising executive at, you know, Time Warner to yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, getting paid
0: 30 bucks an hour while well, I was living in New York. So it was 30 there.
1: Right. <laughs> Which was like probably 15 here, <laughs> right. you know, Totally. Um, and I'm not sure how young you were when you jumped in.
0: I was already, I was, uh, in my thirties. I mean, I was in my wow. mid thirties by then.
1: Delicious. Wow. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I was, was
1: naive. I was in my, you know, mid twenties. And so it was, it, I, I was naive enough to just say, it's okay. It's going to work out. And jump in. Yeah. And so when I think about my journey, I think I feel really just lucky that I had the foundation of like creativity and freedom and spirituality, like moving me forward. But I also feel lucky that I found this path so early. Yeah. Because I don't know if I would do it again being now in my mid thirties, jumping in and knowing how much I'd have to risk and how hard it would be to ultimately be where I am, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, and I love, it's so interesting. I totally resonate with the part of your story where you, you know, you sort of tried not to be a teacher, but that, you know, ultimately you're a teacher, (laughs) which was a realization that I came to too. I mean, like, you know, at the end of the day, I consider myself a a teacher and, and it just Mm -hmm. shows up in different ways. So I can totally relate to sort of the beauty of embracing sort of who you've always been Mm -hmm. taking kind of a circuitous route to get there, which, you know, makes me think of another question that I had, which was, you know, as you're going down this path and, and obviously you're, you're many years into this now, so you've kind of refined your vision over time Mm -hmm. and things have changed and You've been involved in lots of different things. But, you know, just coming back to yoga, since that's kind of primarily the industry that you're in, what did you see missing in the yoga industry that kind of led you Mm. to the creation of, you know, your craft of teaching yoga program? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And your studios. studios. Yeah. That's a fantastic question too. Um, One that I've been churning a lot because... The yoga industry in the West is um, quite different than the yoga industry in the East. And the more that I'm on this path of yoga, the more I really learn about yoga's origins and what yoga really means. And so the yoga industry in the West has been a very like fitness-focused industry. And I think that's um, useful and important because that's what works for Americans, right? And what's beautiful about yoga is that it evolves and it adapts. And the parts of it that are really useful to our everyday lives, like they stay. And so anyway, I I actually never wanted to open a yoga studio. (laughs) (laughs) Oops. I remember whoops I remember you know working for these studios and seeing what the studio owners were going through and seeing how studio owners often had to step back from teaching and I I just love teaching so much and I love the practice so much that I told myself and others I will never open a studio but how that <laughs> happened was I was I had taken many yoga teacher trainings, not many, several yoga teacher trainings, and I had helped create yoga teacher trainings for some studios I was a part of. And I saw several things missing from those experiences. And often I would spend extra time with my trainees as a mentor, um, just getting them ready to teach and just getting them to fully understand these concepts and over the course of time, I realized it would be more efficient if I just created my own program. And the big things that I saw missing was that the yoga community at the time, and it's still kind of like this, operate in very like, um, isolated islands where you know this studio is doing their thing, this studio is doing their thing. And while there are amazing teachers here and there are amazing teachers over there, they never interact. And mm-hmm. They never share. And that was the big thing because I was going to all these different studios and I was learning from all these different amazing teachers. And I thought, whoa, what if we pulled in, you know, the expert on Sanskrit here, this like amazing somatic knowledge from this one here, this amazing theming from here, and we mixed it together with my knowledge. And then we created something that was just really rich and really deep. And also was inclusive, showing the trainee that this yoga picture you're a part of is much bigger and really deep. So that was the like first idea <laughs> for the craft. And it's since evolved and every year is different because every year the yoga community is being confronted with new issues. Every year there's more that's being uncovered about what yoga is. There's more sense you know, scriptures that are being translated. Mm. There's more pressure for teachers. Like (laughs) yoga teachers used to be able to just lead poses and like cite Patanjali. But now yoga teachers are expected to understand how trauma lives in the body. They're expected to understand white supremacy and racism and power structures. They're expected to understand the actual origins of the lineage that they're teaching as well as be able to teach a class to a public, you know, a public setting that has enough things, musicality, rhythm, theme, heart, vulnerability that can connect with people. Yeah. in 60 minutes.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's a lot. Well, it's interesting too, because it, it makes me realize that, you know, sort of the trajectory of yoga in the West, as you said, it's sort of, you know, fitness was the way in, was like the window in. But mm-hmm. what I'm hearing from you is that now it's potentially shifting back to understanding wh- where it came from. And yes, of course, fitness is still part of it. And you see studios that only focus on the fitness piece of it. Sure, but I think I I actually find it very heartening that that what you're saying is that you know yoga teachers now are expected to know all of this other stuff because mm-hmm. that that you know as a practitioner that um, makes the experience so much richer you know
1: right totally and um, I think what's hooked a lot of people on yoga is these like spiritual self help type of undertones that are there. And when yoga teachers are being held accountable for what they're sharing in the sense that like, not that we're judging others or anything, but we're having dialogue about who is translating these sources? Is anyone translating these sources? What are they actually saying? Are we cherry picking things out and trying to fit it to our view? Or are we actually teaching yoga? Mm -hmm. Like these type of conversations are happening in the yoga community, which is amazing because then we can unpack the transformational potential in yoga for our students, you know, Yeah, Um, Yeah. and for ourselves.
0: Yeah. Well, and I also think it's not a bad thing if someone comes into it through the fitness window and, you know, some people stay there and that's fine. Like, you know, I think that's... You know, for some people, that's, you know, where they want to be. And I think that's great. And at the same time, there's an opportunity when people open themselves up to this to sort of deepen the experience. And I um, mean, I personally kind of go back and forth between those two places, right? Okay. So like sometimes I'm like, I got 10 minutes, I'm doing this for fitness. And then other times, you know, <laughs> I'm like, no, I got to go deep, you know? And so, and that's okay. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, thinking about, since your work is so intimately tied to, and I'm going to use the term wellness broadly here, right? So, yeah. you know, to mind-body wellness.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: then also you're a very busy entrepreneur. You have a lot right. of things going on. You've got these physical spaces, these studios, which as you said earlier, yeah, that's no joke. Like that's uh-huh. that's a difficult thing to manage. What does What does being well mean to you at this point in your life, uh-huh. given all that stuff?
1: Yeah, good question. Yeah, I think... The beauty of working in the yoga industry is that yoga really challenges, I guess it doesn't challenge. It just shifts how we see the world. And because yoga has shifted how I see the world, it certainly has shifted how I approach my life, what I think of as wellness. And, um, In the past, similar to you, I joined in the yoga world, like most people, um, through the postures and through the physical, and I thought I was approaching my life in a very structured way, like, okay, I have to do this, and I have to do this, and I have to do this, and every day was just a series of checkboxes, but the issue that came up for me is that it didn't feel good. It didn't feel relieving or peaceful or nourishing to approach my life in such a structured way with very little variation for life to just occur. And so I've shifted how I go about my days in the sense that I don't necessarily structure things anymore. I instead have my intention for what I'm needing for that day. So for example, I'm thinking like, I really want to feel nourished and healthy. So that shifts how I eat. I don't have to make a certain food list and make sure I eat just these foods and box myself into that because when I'm moving from a place of intention, then everything else falls into place. And so same with my physical body. We live in a culture, which I'm kind of waking up to, but we live in a culture where we really believe that if you don't work out, then you're not healthy. But that's not entirely true. I mean, there's entire countries in Europe where the people are like slim and sexy and healthy and living (laughs) long. And, you know, they drink wine for lunch and never work out. And so what I've learned is that my body holds all the information I need for if I need movement and what kind of movement I need. And uh, if I need rest and what kind of rest I need. So now instead of approaching, like, I need to do this many bar classes a week, and I need to do this many yoga classes a week, and I'm going to balance out this and that, whatever. Now it's like, I wake up and I'm like, ooh, you know, my body is really craving powerful movement. I want to like sweat and tremble and like get deep into my muscles. And so today is going to be a bar day, you know? Um, And then other days it's like, oh shit, I've been holding so much tension in my shoulders and in my jaw and in my face and in my body. And today I just need like slow flow and restorative and so yeah it's just drastically changed how I plan my fitness and wellness and I guess to fully answer your question what is wellness to me when we're well we're in this place that in yoga we call ananda and ananda is a sense of joy and contentment that has no opposite Mm -hmm. so it's not happiness it's not like I just feel happy and elated. It's it's a place of satisfaction despite whatever stresses are coming your way that day or whatever losses you're dealing with or whatever situation that feels confining. The Ananda is there because we're moving from a place of sincere love and appreciation for our bodies and our lives. Yeah. Yeah. And the whole time
0: you're talking, I don't know if you could see this on my face since we're on video conference now, like the whole time you're explaining your approach to the way that you eat and move, I'm like about to explode because this is why we're, this is why we connected because we are so oh, in sync with that. And that that philosophy of using your body to determine what you need and I, I, it is exactly what I teach my clients. And it's it's so counterintuitive to so many women who have, you know, growing up in a culture of driving things forward through structure and lack of flexibility, and you know, I, I like to call it, you know, sort of flexible structure, right? So it's it's not that you you know uh-huh. let go of all your goals, but it's exactly what you're saying. It's like, uh-huh. you know, and I love the layer that you added to it about setting an intention to I want to feel nourished and healthy today, and uh-huh. just by virtue of setting that intention, your choices change. Your actions yeah. change, right? It all goes back to mindset. It all starts with mindset. And it, yeah. I think for a lot of women that I work with, and, and maybe you can relate with, you know, some of your students where initially they rail against it. So like, wait, you're not going to tell me more what to do. Like, aren't you going to give me like a, <laughs> a list, right? You know, like a list of exactly what to do. And it's very uncomfortable to start trusting mm-hmm your body in some ways because we weren't taught that growing up.
1: Right. And I, I I so appreciate that comment because also something I'm learning is that what's medicine for one person is is not medicine for another. So if we're in a state which a lot of amazing women creators are in where we're in our heads a lot and we're kind of all over the place, the structure provides a grounding container mm-hmm. provides a sense of safety and a sense of connection to the body and to earth and so so sometimes structure can be super useful if we're using it in that way but for you know people who are maybe a bit more on the end of like feeling really grounded and really comfortable in their body they need more freedom and less structure right And when we get rigid in either path, if we get rigid and say structure's bad or we get rigid and say structure's good, then we're not fully surrendering to the needs of our body and we're instead just imposing something on ourselves.
0: Totally. Yeah, totally yeah. agree. And I and I think you're right. I think it takes time to learn how to tune in. And so, you know, for me, Pilates was a big part of that, like learning Pilates, and because that teaches you to tune into your body in a similar way that right. yoga does, right? So right. that was very structured, right? It's a very structured system. It has, you know, structured movements. And so I think you're absolutely right. Like starting with structure is often the best place to start. And then, you know, you start to trust yourself more. So I'm glad mm-hmm. that you said that because I think- yeah. Um, that's really important. Yeah. Hey, it's Lara here. Wanted to take a quick break from the interview to invite you to my new monthly online workshop series. It's designed to help you get out of your own way and make being healthy feel easy and intuitive instead of stressful and overwhelming. And it's totally free. So consider this your personal invitation to join in. Visit LaraDolch.com workshops to save your spot in upcoming workshops. That's LaraDolch.com workshops. So what do you struggle with when it comes to Ooh. prioritizing self-care? these <laughs>
1: <days>? <laughs> Oh, um, can I say I struggle with prioritizing self-care? Yes,
0: absolutely. <laughs> say more about that. What happens? What gets in the way?
1: Um, yeah, well, again, going back to this idea of mindset and I, I, having been raised with a very creative and carefree mother and my style, I also was raised in a very dysfunctional environment. And so I was in a, a survival mindset for much of my life. And then, of course, I went from this solid foundation of being in a corporate environment where it felt very safe to jumping off the bridge and and putting myself into a place of, okay, how am I going to survive again? So for a long time, I've created a habit of needing to get everything done before myself, typically motivated out of a like survival, fear-based place. And so I... I've been really working on healing that. Uh, first, I had to figure out that it was there, and what that feeling does is it just inspires me to always put myself last. Like everything else is more important and must get done now. And when I have time, then I'll take care of myself, type of thing. So. To prioritize self-care, I've had to learn how to enjoy my life, (laughs) how to know that I am safe, I am well, I am cared for, and that it's my privilege and my right in being alive to enjoy it. (laughs) Yeah. And so that's, that has shifted how I go about my days and what I prioritize, because if I find myself getting sucked in to my work again, there's always 200 emails I have to answer, like always, (laughs) Um, if I find myself getting sucked into that, I remember, okay, um, but this is, this is a day in my life that. I have the opportunity to enjoy. So how do I find that balance? So my, anyway, prioritizing self-care, you know, honestly, it's high and low depending on what I have on my plate that day. But I've gotten much better at stopping what I'm doing and taking time to connect with my husband because we work from home and we work together. Taking time to connect with my dog. Taking time to cook, taking time outside, taking time to just breathe and feel, and do my own practice, or go to a class at my studio. Mm-hmm. And if I find a day has been successful, if I've enjoyed it.
0: Well, and that's what I was going to say. I'm, I'm hearing two things. One is that reframe of, or just not even reframe, the reminder saying? that you know mm-hmm. you're not only allowed to enjoy your life, but. That's part of what life is for, right? Is is enjoyment. That's part one. And then I also heard that the choices that you're making to honor that don't necessarily have to be, be big time frames, right? So you spend a few minutes playing with your dog, right? Like that brings mm-hmm. joy and that doesn't take long. And mm-hmm. you know, that reminder that it, you know, just small breaks during the day can achieve that goal. Mm-hmm. You know, and also allow you to get. Work done and feel productive, which is which is also a joyful thing, right? Like feeling yes. productive is a part of feeling joyful
1: for a lot of us. Absolutely. It's so fulfilling. I love my work, you yeah. Know? And finding that balance of um, not letting my work get to the point that it's depleting me. Yeah, um, it's so important. Um, and that is what I find that I'm often teaching my yoga students is. Life is meant to be savored and, and we're, we are free at any moment, anything is possible. And so if we truly believe that and we live that, then our lives are just, we're just playing all the time. We're playing house, you know, we're playing um, like chef when we're cooking we're playing the role of boss, we're playing um, the role of friend, and when we take in these moments, not as chores or things to do, but instead something we get to do, and that we're choosing to do, it just makes everything much more fulfilling, and life just feels rich.
0: Yeah. That's one of my favorite language shifts is going from I have to, to I get to. And it's something that I discovered right after I started teaching Pilates, right? Like, so I was, I had like 7am classes that I was teaching um, in New York and I was like, Mm -hmm. Oh my God, it's so early. And I found myself like complaining, like, Oh, I have to go teach tomorrow. And then I was like, wait, 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 wait. you chose this. Like you changed Mm -hmm. your life to become a Pilates instructor, you get to go teach at seven, you know, and it cha- it really does change everything. Just that minor shift in language; it's language is so powerful, right? Yes. What happens mm-hmm. when you allow yourself to get depleted? Like when you find that you have a stretch of yeah. time where you haven't prioritized mm-hmm. these things, what happens?
1: Mm, good question. Um, <laughs> learning that my pattern is that I don't eat <laughs> when I when I'm not eating because I'm so focused on everything else, and I just forget to or that
0: never happens to me. I never forget to eat,
1: <laughs> that's like like literally that
0: is something that I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about, no, I do, I get it. but it's yeah food is
1: yeah, but and. One of the things that I've learned I need is nourishment and is grounding and is the like savoring and enjoying because I, I am very comfortable in just living in creative mode and manifestation mode and like get shit done mode. I love that space and when I start to swirl a little bit in that space and feel chaotic and forget to eat and start to feel overwhelmed and start to feel stressed, that's when it lights up like, oh shit, I need to take a step back and relax a little bit or um, cook a meal. So yeah, I I tend to get, um, I've noticed when I do not care for myself, I'm just kind of a ball of stress and just overwhelmed. And that's how I know I'm out of balance. And how does that bleed into your work? Mm. Well, my husband sees the most of it. He's a <laughs> sweet, amazing human because he's like, you need to eat a granola bar and chill out. You <laughs> <know>? um, <laughs> but for the most part, I'm pretty good at not letting my employees or my students see the stress I'm under. I'm actually very fantastic at that. It's one of my superpowers. But <laughs> um but how it affects my work is that I prioritize executing instead of connecting. And I think like the way that it impacts my studios or my teacher training the most is I I I'm not as connected with the philosophies I'm teaching and I'm not as connected as the pe- with the people I'm working with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've definitely seen that happen and seen like I've had employees kind of fade out of the picture because I was too busy working on other things and I didn't take the time to really connect and engage them, you
0: know? Yeah. So yeah, does that answer your question? It does. No, and I, I just think it's, you know, important. I like to sort of highlight yeah, the, the downside to not making those choices, right? Because we all go through periods of time where we're not doing as good a job as we would like prioritizing self-care. And it's, I think it's important to just connect into how that affects the way you're showing up in the world, right? Because it can nice. be a bit more, you can be a bit more motivated to actually make those self-care choices when you recognize the sort of negative impact that it's having on your mm-hmm. work and the people around you and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh,
1: so. yeah, and to add on to that, it's like, I think as women, what's so beautiful about being a woman is that we, the way our brains work, we're connecting to so many different things at once. We we pull together a variety of experiences and we are the birthers, we are the creators. Um, And if we don't take the time to really drop into that space, then we're not providing others with our most potent deep authentic vulnerable real selves you know we're just executing yeah and so that's yeah that's that's what I'm working on
0: (laughs) I love that I mean and and it's so it's so true that Mm -hmm. that and that energy I think especially now in the world that that sort of Feminine energy is, it's so, and that feminine gift is so important right now for sure. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I have so many other questions I, and I'd want to keep going, but I want to be mindful of your time. (laughs) Like we could have a whole other conversation about that, especially, you know, right now it's just, it's a really, um, the world's a challenging place right now. Uh, especially for women. So maybe mm-hmm. we'll have you back and have another a whole conversation about that.
1: And, I would love that. Yeah. There's about some... women, about, um, about race, about um, oppression and how we're navigating that. We're really like, we're kind of in a caterpillar stage as a nation yeah. where we're starting to break out of some confines and question how we got where we are and um where are we going together as a as a human <laughs> population yeah.
0: you know? absolutely i was just having yeah. a, a similar conversation about that last night i mean you know we're recording this the the day after the um, dr ford's testimony yes mm-hmm. um, so anyway it's very top of mind but as yes. we're so maybe we'll 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 come back and we'll, have we'll hit that Yeah, about, about that you're know, going to have <laughs> In on that because otherwise we could be going for another hour. So, as we are wrapping up, can you tell people uh where they can learn more about you and and any of coming up?
1: Yes, absolutely. Oh it went so fast. Um, so right now you can find me at Bohemian Studios in Seattle. We have two studios, one in West Seattle. On Infinity Ridge, and I teach bar and yoga classes there. But uh, something I really love that if people are interested in going deeper into yoga philosophy and applying this philosophy to their lives, not only on an intellectual level, but on a somatic level, um, I'm leading monthly yoga rituals that combine uh, some of the ancient traditions and techniques of yoga practice with. Uh, timeless wisdom of nature and somatic therapy so we put all that together in this like two-hour experience that leads to amazing body-mind transformations so that's at bohemian studios and then i also lead with my husband well my husband and i do everything together so he's also there at the yoga tools but the craft of teaching yoga is another place people can find me and I've really honed in on the aspects of teaching yoga that are useful and applicable and digestible. And so if anyone's interested in just like learning about philosophy, learning about what it means to be a teacher or just holding space for others, finding a better voice, um, they can find me on the craft of teaching yoga.love.
0: Yes, yeah. that's right. That love. it. I'll put those links in the show notes for sure. So cool. thank you so much, Adrienne. This was so lovely. And um, I cannot wait for my listeners to hear it.
1: Yay. Well, thanks for letting me be a part of this. And I'm just honored because you're amazing. And all the women you're interviewing are amazing. And it's just a really special thing to participate in. Thank you. That's it for this week's
0: episode of Women on the Rise. Visit lauridolch.com slash podcast for show notes and resources mentioned in this episode. You can download other episodes of this podcast and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review the podcast. It's a huge help to the show and I truly appreciate it. This episode was produced by me with editing help from Dave Nelson at Lens Group Media. Tune in every week for new interviews that give you the practical tools you need to recapture your momentum, mind, body, and soul.